We got baby chicks last week, which was extremely exciting for two little Summers girls. Our downstairs basement smells like a barnyard, but that's okay. They're only inside for a little while until they get old enough to be out in the elements. In order to be good chicken owners, <clears throat> the girls and Bo attended a class last week that was offered by the country store in Mount Vernon where they bought the chicks. And when Mimi got home, my kindergartner, she had a lot of news for me about predators. Her six-year-old brain really locked on to that portion of the class, and she wanted to tell me all about the different things that could possibly kill these chickens. There are lots of things here in the Pacific Northwest that are perilous to chickens. Foxes, raccoons, coyotes, eagles. I've watched an eagle come out of the sky and pick up a chicken out of my sister's backyard before. Possums. I didn't realize that possums were carnivores, but apparently they're omnivores. Owls, other birds of prey, all these things. It's very dangerous to be a chicken. I find it interesting, given this fact, that Jesus would liken himself to a mother hen. Come on, he could have chosen anything, right? A majestic eagle, a stealthy owl, an intelligent crow, but a chicken? Mother hens, like any mother or father, will sacrifice their life for their offspring. Many a bloodied hen has been found, uh, has been moved to reveal a pile of chicks underneath after she has lost her life protecting them. And that piece of Jesus' metaphor makes sense, right? We all feel pretty comfortable with Jesus' sacrificial love. But he could have used a powerful symbol of sacrificial love. There's nothing fiercer, after all, than a mama bear, right? You do not want to get between a grizzly and her babies. You will see Jesus very soon if you do that. But Jesus did not describe himself as a mama bear, but a mother hen, a bird who cannot fly. But he is consistent in this. Because Jesus continuously challenged the culture of power with truth and vulnerability. His critique of Jerusalem at the center of the spiritual world at the time was no exception. But this was not the first time that God challenged the culture of power. And it certainly wasn't the last. In our Genesis text, we see that as yet childless Abram, before he was renamed Abraham, he was later known as the father of the chosen people. Um, father Abraham has many sons. But at that moment, he was wondering at the yet unfulfilled promise of God. At that moment, God's promise of ancestors that outnumbered the stars seemed like a fanciful delusion to this airless octogenarian. It seemed like an impossible dream. But God's promise was not empty. And God made a covenant with Abram. God instructed Abram to the grisly task of cutting up a bunch of animals in half and then putting them sort of with a, with a space between the two portions of the bodies. And then God walked 
down the center of them, sealing the promise. And this is powerful symbolism. At that time, this practice was a sealing of a covenant, and a person making a promise to someone else um, would, would cut these animals in half and walk down the center saying, if I do not fulfill my promise to you, let it be to me as it is to these animals, destroyed, cut in half. But never would someone of higher status or more power make that promise to someone lesser than them. It was always a subject or someone of lower status making that promise to someone who they held in respect and authority over them. So as Abram slept, God gave him a vision of God's self walking through the animals, making the symbolic covenant with Abram, subverting power to show that the culture of power is not God's way. Humility and solidarity are God's way. The cross was the ultimate subverting of power. The cross stood for public humiliation, shame, weakness. The cross shows us that God's power is vulnerable love with others and always in solidarity, never superiority. No wonder Jerusalem, the epicenter of religious power, couldn't stand Jesus, or any of the prophets, as Jesus so aptly pointed out. The folk in the center of religious power rarely think there's anything wrong. There isn't in their estimation, because everything's going swimmingly for them. Those in, the, in positions of power and privilege rarely hope for change. Why would they? They want things to keep on, keep it on. Whether it be in religion, in government, in the, in the consumer workplace. It is in the margins that people prophesy to the church. Reminding and agitating for equality, solidarity, love, hope. God's kingdom come. The least of these speak for Jesus. May we have ears to listen. What Jesus reminds us this morning is that until, until all are safe and loved and have a full seat at the table of God's grace, what is protected to preserve the power and privilege of a few needs to be torn down and rebuilt. Hanging on to tradition, authority, the way things have always been, is not the way of the cross. Not when it does not make space for those in the margins. This is true in our churches, in our governments, in our communities, and in our individual lives as well. We are desperate for a revolution of humility and solidarity in our own hearts. There's parts of ourselves that we marginalize. The broken parts, the weak parts. It's not just communities and families and governments that do this. 
pushing weakness to the side. We're told to do it all the time in our own heads, in our own lives. Don't talk about that. You're making people feel uncomfortable. Don't show anyone that. No one will like you. Don't say that out loud. You'll lose your respect and your place in the community. But to accept who God has made us to be and be emboldened to live as a beloved children of God and to risk being ourselves within the context of community, the margins of ourselves, and the strong parts of ourselves, this is God's kingdom come. Because if we don't show up as our authentic selves in community, we can't offer the fullness of gifts that God gives us, and we certainly cannot allow our carefully constructed safety zones to be torn down if all of our energies are focused on staying safe and staying the same. It all needs to go so that we can all have an equal spot at the table. Often we reject the prophets because it seems like too much work to start over. It does. Jesus was rejected and murdered because he challenged power and presented an alternative that would strip anyone of power over another for all time and instead imposed the kingdom of God that works together as the body of Christ, no one part more important than another. The cost of the kingdom was tearing down of the institution, and that was too high a price for most. So Jesus had to die, and no one expected what would happen next. Because usually, when you tell people, don't say that, no one will like you. Don't bring that around here. You're causing trouble. Keep it to yourself. Usually that just puts it under the rug, flattens it out again, and it goes away. But not Jesus. Jesus bled out and then rose from the dead. And in doing so, he was not establishing something new. He was showing us, as he did with his entire life, what the incarnation means. The incarnation, God infusing everything from the very beginning and made perfect in Jesus Christ. It is the pattern of death and resurrection, the solidarity that God shows with creation, the mercy and grace and salvation that comes from God alone, the joy that springs up not from circumstance, but from the immutable goodness of God, and above all, that love always wins. When we attempt to protect and hide the places that need to be torn down and rebuilt in our own lives, or in our communities, we become, as Paul describes, enemies of the cross. The cross shows us how to let it all be torn down 
and to watch something beautiful, something we couldn't even have imagined, something beyond and above, be established in God's grace and grow up to the wonder of all. This is where we as individuals and as a church are in our Lenten journeys. We are at the place where we see the cross down the road at Golgotha, and we have the opportunity to leave all that we know, all that makes us feel comfortable and secure behind to follow. Consider today that there are things in your life that need to be torn to the ground so that the things that you've pushed out to the margins can be reintegrated into your beautiful self. That there are things in this church that we may need to leave to history so that we can push forward in God's love. There is too much that God has for us in the future to continue to protect what was at the cost of God's kingdom come. This is much easier to say from the pulpit than it is to be done. Amen? <laughs> when I put something together from Ikea, I have to take it apart at least once because the directions are in pictures and I'm a word person and I'm not what you would call competent with tools or even handy. But even taking apart what to a normal person would take 20 minutes, but for me takes 120 minutes, is hard for me. Because I am so goal-oriented, y'all. I want it done. I did that already. Been there, done there, got the t-shirt. I'm done with that. I don't want to go back. I don't want to undo my hard work. It's not easy to disassemble things that we've worked hard on. But we, as Christians and as a church, are not meant to be steadfast and immovable forever. I think we've, we've gotten that idea somewhere along the line. Stand strong. Don't move until we become literal statues. We are meant to be fleet of foot, flowing in the spirit of God. We are meant to be moving and changing and growing and exploring and adventuring in God's grace. We are meant to be bringing God's kingdom with our lives as individuals and as a church. And we can't do that if we are statues, immovable. There was a news story this week out of France about a fox who got into a chicken coop. And then there was an automatic door that shut behind him, which my husband, who is handy, is going to put into our chicken coop. These automatic doors that shut at dusk. So if you remember what Mimi learned at the chicken class, you know that foxes are predators and chickens need to be guarded against them. But this community of chickens in France, however, they decided to fight back. Chickens may not be fierce alone, but in the context of community, they are powerful. That young fox was found the next morning, pecked to death by a fleet of mother hens. So church, let us not be a statue, immovable. Let us be a fleet of holy hens. 
Let us be humble and subversive, and together, let's peck at evil like it doesn't have a chance. Even though we can't fly, and we don't have teeth, and we are generally sweet and snuggly. But not today, Satan. Let's offer a place for the vulnerable to be safe. Let's not tolerate hate or violence or bigotry. Let's trust God enough to at any moment be ready to disassemble all that we have worked so hard on. Our behaviors, our best laid plans, our ministries, so that we can listen to the margins, allow them to prophesy to us, and we can be the kingdom getting caught up in some holy mischief. Let's take the God who infuses everything with the incarnation, the God who walked through the animals to make a covenant with Abram, the God who willingly accepted the cross, and the God who makes all things new at God's word. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, Blessed be the God.